This is Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to be sitting with my guest today. Um, it's hard to be a part of Philadelphia Dance and not know this name. He is a prolific choreographer, a renowned teacher, a storied performer. I have referred to him many times as Philadelphia Dance Royalty. The one and only Zane Booker is in the house today. Good morning, sir. <laughs> well, that was the most beautiful introduction I think I've ever heard. Thank you so much. That was very kind. I meant Thank every you. word of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, enjoying working from home this morning and getting some things done. And yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah. Fabulous. Fabulous. So you are, I would say, one of my favorite choreographers in the city. You always bring a sense of the, the theatricality and the drama to uh, whatever you do. Uh, where would you say that that extraness, that drama-ness comes from? Um, I think a lot of it probably comes from my, the first two choreographers that I've really worked with were Lewis Johnson and Dean Hilsegan. Mm. And I think they left a huge imprint on my choreographic voice. Um, Lewis was one of the first people I saw walk through the room with a score in his hand as he did choreography. He was working on Tremonitia mm. and that was a story ballet. So I think, I don't know if I've ever really created the the quintessential version of the thing I have, I've had in my head, mm. but I've tried different times to create little story ballets that had the intensity that I, I remember feeling when I worked on Tremonitia as a young man with uh, Lewis Johnson. And then Gene, Gene Hilsegan's work. And these are two choreographers I worked with when I was um, in the company at the Philadelphia Dance Company under Joe Myers Brown. Yes. Who was my mentor and uh, dance mom. Um, so she, yeah, so oh, I'm sorry. So the um, Gene Hilsegan's work was so, I mean, it was Graham, it, it had the the intensity and the drama of Graham um, and the technique of ballet. So I remember being, sitting in the, the, the door, watching his work, Conversation for Seven Souls, mm. and just being in awe of the intensity that the dancers, like Wendy Henderson and Elena Anderson and Wendell Wells and Tom Miles and Carlos Shorty and probably Karen Pendergrass, all of those folks were in the room. And I'm sorry if I miss anybody's name, but I just remember being inspired by them. I think Deborah Chase and Deborah Manning had already left by the time I was mm. watching Conversation for Seven Souls. But even watching that group of dancers do Tally Beatty, like uh, Prettiest Skin Deep, Ugly to, Ugliest to the Bone. Yes. Like, uh, David... St. Charles and Deborah Manning and Deborah Chase and Jamila Toombs and, you know, Carithia Landers, again, Wendy, Tucker Henderson, Kim Bears, all of those folks were in the company and I was watching them from the door and a whole bunch of people who passed like Tony Parnell and mm. uh, uh, Howard Lucas and um, a bunch of men that that were just with Keith Lee and um, Tom Miles. They it was it, it was just come on roster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like to call those folks names out because I they are the foundation. Like when you ask me where I got that drama from, mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm constantly trying to live up to what I felt as a young man sitting in the door. Right. of the Philadelphia studios watching these choreographers and dancers work. You know what I mean? It, 
it left a big impression on me. Nice. So I think that's, if you ask me where the drama comes from, that's where it comes from. It like, you know, a 11 year old, 10 year old sitting in the room, feeling the impact of this energy, like. Yeah. I was going to say your, your dance roots begin at Philodenko, right? Yes. So I joined the company at 14 and. Which just blows my mind. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't even think I realized the magnitude of what was happening and I have to um, be appreciative of my of my trajectory and how lucky I was to be plucked out and included in in the company roster at that moment because I think it changed my life forever. Yeah. For the good, of course, yeah. Were you, know. you the youngest member of the company like in the history or I think I was at the time. I feel like Deborah Manning was also 14 when okay. she started performing. And then Danny G and Bernard were close in age, like 15 when they joined. So there, I was, I might've been the youngest, but there were people who were close. And I kind of think Deborah Manning might've been 14 when she joined. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause I, I realized that I was like, I'm thinking about myself at 14 <laughs> and mm -mm. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this though, like, uh, I, Joan always says I could dance before I had any technique, whatever that means. Like, so I get that. I spent the rest of my career trying to get technique, but I think I could imitate. Right. You know what I mean? I think I had the ability to imitate what I saw from, a feeling point of view. And I think that's what kind of got me over. Nice. Yeah. So who are the, who are the dancers that you have your eye on now? Is there anyone that's like standing out? In terms uh, on the international scene or in Philly? Just or... period. <laughs> we'll start with Philly. Well, I mean, I love working with the dancers at Philodenko. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, um, um, I've been assistant rehearsal director for a few months now, and it's an interesting group uh, because there are like two phases. There are there are dancers there who who are close to thirty, mm. and so they're close to my sensibilities of how they work and how they approach work. Um, and then there are dancers who are between twenty and twenty seven, and that's a very different generation for me. Right. Um, so I'm I'm adjusting to their um, the way they grew up in their dance worlds. Like they have a different sensitivity. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a different uh, understanding of their own uh, presence in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, right. So that's taking adjustment. So I love I love the dancers in Philadelphia. I love all of the dancers, like we just had a season and, you know, I oh, just yeah. watched the women grow exponentially, you know, and the men, you know, grow as well. But it was really just nice to watch um, all of them, like the whole roster just sort of step up to the plate. Nice, nice. And, and then internationally, I think, yes. Um, I'm intrigued by a lot of the the um, the men who are on the scene in terms of folks like, um, well, I guess this is nationally and internationally. Like I've been mentoring Johnny Mercer Cruz, mm. been in contact. They, um, Charmaine Warren put us in contact through Black Dance Stories. Nice. And I'm enjoying, I was enjoying really talking to him and I haven't seen him perform live yet but I watched his work on tape and I'm intrigued by this young queer voice, black. I don't use the word queer, but they use the word queer. Um, the, how, um, I like, I like when the, the choreographic voice has intellect and rigor. Yes. Like I like that the physicality is still there. Like I like that about Johnny Mercer's work. I like that he's, I mean, maybe this is a little bit, um, egotistical, but I like that he's rooted in community. I like that he's looking for spaces outside of the proscenium dance. Yes. You know, arena. 
I like that he's researching all of those kind of things. I like that he's trying to connect to um, different ways of being and not becoming a cookie cutter version of himself. You right. know, but I like that. Right. And then just technically on the scene, I think, you know, folks like Calvin Royale and the 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 young person in uh, Pacific Northwest who is a uh, I think he's. Um, you know, identifies as they, I I think they identify as they, yeah. and they're doing female parts. You know what I mean? I mm, think mm-hmm. that's amazing. I'm just intrigued by who's going to make a step into this new arena of blackness and non-genderness. Right. Um, I'm just curious to see how it works and right. see who embraces it. Because I feel like I was one of the reasons I started the Smokeleys and Jade Arts Initiative was one to be able to have a conversation freely in the dance space mm. about HIV/AIDS and men's health and sexuality in a certain way, like mm-hmm. to be free. Because inside of the Proscenium Dance Theater, you have an archetype of maleness that you are required to present. Right. And it's not negotiable. Mm, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And most of the most of the companies, whether it's a ballet company or a modern company or a company that is basically a proscenium dance company, you in America specifically, you are required to present a traditional archetype of maleness, of right. of, of virility. And I'm I understand that. That's not the fight that I choose to fight. Mm. I I create space in my world outside of those arenas um, where folks can be their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm intrigued in which spaces those things are allowed to happen and flourish. Nice. You know what I mean? Because yeah. even if you look at even if you look at Bill T. Jones's voices, and I yes. haven't seen all of his work, but if I look at his work, even though he addresses issues the presentation of maleness is still present. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe there are some places where that hasn't been an issue. Um, I mean, that where he's where he's tackled that issue, um, and maybe I just haven't read about it or seen it. But I know like Kyle and um, Kyle Abraham and mm-hmm. other folk, you know, Kyle Marshall, I think maybe, and then some other folks, whose names I can't remember that I've sort of peeked at on the internet are, are, I actually saw a whole company that is dealing with that. Um, they're predominantly a white company though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's, um, yeah. So I forgot the question now. I think you asked me who was <laughs> interesting on the dance scene and I can ramble on No, I love it. Um, I'm glad you brought up smoke lilies and Jade because I was going to say, that you do appreciate uh, the use of dance and art as a vehicle for social change and social commentary. Um, And I was going to ask you actually to talk about that a little bit more too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's also something that's been in my DNA. Mm. Um, Even when I was in high school, and I think it's more reactionary too. I think a lot of what I what I delve into is reactionary. So I can be so quite frankly, when I started the Smoke Lilies and Jade Arts Initiative, the thought in my head was to do an event that paid homage to all of those men that that I lost as mentors. Mm-hmm. You know, Carlos Shorty, Corbin McNeil. Wendell Wells, uh, Tony Parnell, mm. Spider. Um, you know, there were a lot of men in the beginning of my career who are no longer with us, who passed away from AIDS or AIDS-associated things. Right. And there are men who survived that, um, but not many. So that was my first instinct. It was to pay homage because I thought that was missing. Yeah. And I think I had survivor's guilt you know, mm, to a certain mm. degree. And it was a way of 
um, dealing with that. So as I as I shared the project with different people like Michael Henson, who was really instrumental in helping me form the whole foundation of SLJ and shared it with my mother and my sister, mm-hmm. it sort of, you know, you had to have a mission and it got, it became broadened. So that sort of was the impulse for it. And I enjoy being in that space. Mm-hmm. I enjoy, I enjoy, um, having tough conversations. I enjoy challenging status quo culture. I I enjoy that. I, I think it's necessary. I think it's rewarding. Mm. And I think it's it's part of what quite honestly black men and even white men or women or non-binary folk in those spaces need they need space to be authentic you know what i mean and you can't be authentic when you're always trying to fit into an acting role right like, yeah you know what i mean it, it's i think that you need those you to survive in the business you need those skills but you also need a place just to be who you are right you know what i mean yeah i think the first time i saw anybody sort of be in their full self was Alan Barnes with um, with uh, the Foresight Company, Frank for Ballet. Yes. I remember when Alan and Francesca joined, a bunch of my friends, well, one other friend joined at the time, so I was visiting a lot. And Alan was, Billy just let Alan be his full self. So I, re- I think that also was a big impression on me like he didn't have to form like he he was his full authentic self on stage nice he wasn't performing maleness it didn't feel it just it was beautiful thing to see nice Um, yeah so and i i and i like the interaction with people outside of the dance world you know what i mean a lot of what we did was conversation and dance i had a we had an event called dance and discussion Mm -hmm. and we often would bring in some dance folk but also folks outside the dance world to to um instigate conversation you know what i mean around men's health around history around different things um right that are important to us like to be a well-rounded human being and a healthy human being i think those things were important Right. Yeah. And um, I, as I've gotten older, I find myself gravitating towards art that is saying something where the idea of authenticity is more to the foreground. Like, I will always enjoy dances where the dancers are pretty on stage and, you know, it's about the lines and everything. That's always going to have a place. But I find myself gravitating more towards explorations of authenticity and, you know, groundedness in our place in society, whether that's race or gender or combinations, permutations thereof, you know? Right. And that's the meaty stuff. Yeah. You know? And you don't, and even inside of my practice, I, I had light, fun stuff, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that, but just because the, topic is um important if i can say that doesn't mean that it has to be heavy also that yeah yeah but i like heavy like i like meaty i like things with gravitas as well like those are things that i i like to dig into well and that's the thing because there's also joy and beauty and levity in authenticity Mm -hmm. you know it's we can talk about blackness and queerness without always having to talk about, you know, trauma and struggle. And right, there's joy. Right. And that's a that's something that I think we are trying to address and get pat, get through in society now when we tell stories about blackness and or queerness that struggle and trauma don't have to be the 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 vehicle. Right. You right. know. You can be happy right. and, and it still be a black story. <laughs> right. 
I have my friend, um, Phil Roundtree, who I used to have, we haven't had a discussion in a while, but we had, um, he had a show and then we were on the radio for a while. He always says that, that he was sick of seeing, you know, black trauma porn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I understand that, of course. Like, I like joy. I, I, I like, you know, I want us to have rom-coms as well. Right. You know, I get stuck on YouTube watching a lot of the sort of, you know, independent filmmaking stuff that is black and gay. You know, some of it's soap opera. Yeah. <laughs> and some of it, you know, it can't be. You know, and then sometimes you run up on something that's kind of fun and well done. And I can't remember any of the names of them right now, but, you know, you go down a rabbit hole, and you're like, oh, and you can't get back to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know that's right. So I said before you have had such, you're such a storied performer. Um, so speaking of stories, why don't you take us on a little uh, trip through your your journey as an artist you know we you your first dance you like I said your first roots were in Philadelphia and you were in the company at the age of 14 so like what what how did uh what was the journey that Philadelphia took you on I mean like I said Philadelphia gave me my base it gave my my aesthetic point of view mm-hmm. it gave me my um I guess even if I, as a teacher, I would say pedagogical foundation. Mm. And so my aesthetics, my, my way of seeing dance, and it gave me the impulse to understand that technique was really, really important. And it was a vehicle to, um, success, using the word success, I'm just going to say success as a shorthand and we can talk about what that means but um you know more money broader broader touring engagements like a a bigger comp like a bigger sort of uh platform basically more money um but also exposure to different different forms of dance that was were outside of the black dance world access um yeah, access. Hmm. So when I left, I was on a mission. I wanted to leave Philadelphia, so I went to North Carolina School of the Arts. Hmm. I trained there um, for a year or two years, and then I danced with the North Carolina Dance Theater, nice. all on a mission to improve my technique. And like once I decided that I wanted to be in the ballet world, I just had to focus on improving my technique. So, um, and then I kept thinking in my mind. I knew that the dance career was very short, so probably I should have stayed some places longer mm. <laughs> and just trained. But, um, you know, the universe took me on my my journey. So right. I left when I left Danko. I left right out of high school and went down there. And then I got a chance to um, come under the wing of Bobby Lindgren. Bobby mm. Lindgren founded the North Carolina School of the Arts with his wife Sonia Tyvin. Mm. And they took a liking to me because I went from modern to ballet. And so I went to Europe with them for my for the first time. And from there, when I came back, I had expressed, I said, Mr. Lindgren, I need to get in a company so I can work my way up because I want to be a principal. And, and he said, the next thing I know, I got a call from Sal Aelio. And Sal was like, Bobby says you want to join a company. Why don't you come take class? So I went, I think I went and took class with them and they were in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I joined North Carolina Dance Theater. So I stayed in in North Carolina for another year. So I know I was down there for two years or three years in total, but I was only in school for one year. Okay. So that was a good experience because I got to do Balanchine. I got to work with Mauricio Rainrod and um Sal's work and um it was a great second company experience for me. But at the end of that year, I felt like I still didn't have enough training. And Bobby, Mr. Lindgren, was going to the School of American Ballet. So I think at the end of the, I feel like, anyway, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember having a conversation with Suki Shore, who was a, mm. a teacher and dancer from, um, um, 
SAB and City Ballet, New York City Ballet. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, why don't you just go with Bobby when see if Bobby will. So anyway, I followed Mr. Lindgren to SAB and I trained there for another year, which was great for me. It was great training. I did a lot of performing and I did the summer session, which is where I met Mikhail Barishnikov because mm. his wife at the time, oh my God, I can't remember her name, Redhead. Anyway, she choreographed a piece, Lisa Reinhardt. Ah. Lisa Reinhardt choreographed a piece. He saw me, and that's important for like 10 years down the road. Um, so he saw me. That was a great experience. <laughs> um, we went to Holland. So I had that whole year of being in SAB and doing a lot of rep, a lot of SAB, a lot of balancing rep and Bart Cook rep because I was also in like the school performance program. So at this point, I'm still not 20. I think I'm like maybe 19. Mm. Um, So I'm getting all this ballet stuff under my belt, like performing and then performing in the workshops. I did the summer workshop. We did the the year workshop and then i did another workshop so i don't even think that they do the summer workshop anymore but between the between the school performances the summer workshop the regular workshop the end of year workshop and the fact that we went to holland to perform with the vaganova school so like in that one or two years time i did like four major sort of bodies of work um Anyway, so I get to Holland. Everybody's trying to audition for different companies. I end up auditioning for Netherlands Dance Theater too. Yes. And I get the job. So all of those things sort of led me to Europe. And it's not one piece that didn't sort of fit in. So that was that was uh, how I got to Europe. And, and I really felt like once, when I was in North Carolina, I remember seeing Netherlands Dance Theater in a video watching session with Milton Myers. Yeah. So Milton had come down like my first year in North Carolina and I had already worked with him. So we had a, a great rapport and he was a mentor. I definitely consider him a mentor. Um, and so when I saw that company, I was like, oh my God, this feels like Philodenko. This feels, feels like Gene. It feels like, you know, it has that blend of modern and ballet. And right. I was just, I love it. I love them. So different people said different things to me. Like Milton said something to me. And I always had my dance mom, Pat Thomas, who I, you know, conferred with all the time. Um, So she was always counseling me. And there was a point when I didn't know where to go. And some, I think it was either Melissa Hayden or somebody said, well, if you're going to dance with, uh, a contemporary ballet company, you might as well dance with the best one in the world, honey. Hey. <laughs> it was another dance theater at the time. Right. So I I, um, I got the gig and it was wonderful. And I was there for about six years, two years in the second company, four years in the main company. Work. I got to work with all the folks who are, you know, pioneers. I got to work with Yuri. I got to work with Matt Sack. I got to work mm. with Nacho Duato. Yes. I got to work um, um Ohad, Naharin, yes. and Mari Kajwara when she was still alive. I got to work with, um, yeah, I think that uh, 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 Hans uh, Hans von Manen. Um, so mm. it was a really, I got to work with Jean-Christophe while I was there. I got nice. to work with, um, that's where I met Jean-Christophe Mayo. Uh, he did a piece that really changed. He did a piece that got me into the first company, honestly, a piece called After All. Mm. Um, and I was featured in that piece and it 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 was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, and it had that drama part of it that that I love how you describe my dancing because I think I think about my dancing in the same way. Mm. You know. So so I spent the time there. And then at a certain point I was ready to leave for a bunch of personal reasons. Um more so than dance, because I think I had a hard time there because I was a disruptor and there mm-hmm. were certain pieces that I felt were, uh, there was a piece that I felt was, um, I was chosen because I was black to do the piece. Okay. So I had 
conversation with Yuri about that. And I think that didn't necessarily help our rapport, <laughs> but I look back on it now and I was glad that I had the conversation. And although he had a particular way of seeing the world, he was open to the conversation and never made me feel bad about having the conversation. His door was always open. So for that, I take my hat off to him. Um, but I definitely would have had an easier time right. if I had and danced. <laughs> well, what was it about that work that made you re- think that it was your blackness that got you the part? Because it was done on another black dancer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I stepped into his role. And it was one of the first things that I was on the casting board for when I went from the second company to the first company. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then I had a moment, too, when I had a big head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I went from the second company to the first company, I had a knee injury. And I I, re- I mean, I look back on it and I watch other young dancers and I see how your first big injury can impact you. And I forgive myself for being a, uh, an annoying brat, but mm-hmm. at the time, I was sure that I knew how to take care of my knee. It was my first knee injury and I wasn't taking class. Oh, So, yeah, I was doing exercises before rehearsal and doing my own bar and really just being super uh, careful. Mm -hmm. And my my director at the time was annoyed with me and I was being quite stubborn. So (laughs) it took me a while to get over that reputation as well. And then being somebody who was difficult. You know, calling calling people out on how you got casted. They were probably like, it's your first year in the company. Shut up. <laughs> Who is you? <laughs> but I think I managed through hard work to repair most of that, I guess, you know. But anyway, I still danced and I still had a good time. Yeah, you um, did. Yeah. And then I went to Monte Carlo. I followed John Christoph to Monte Carlo. Like I said, I had some personal things that I was running away from mm. in in Holland. And uh, so I ran down to John Christoph. He uh, let me come dance with them. And I had a good time with him dancing. You know, that's where I met John Elaine and um, Alonzo King. Mm. Came through there. Um, most of the choreographers that came through there, Alonzo didn't choreograph. He was there as a guest teacher. And I think he was thinking about choreographing, but I wasn't there when he came back, I think. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so I had really great, I had great roles there. Like I had to do some shitty work, um, you know, like some of the old Diaghilev ballets that I, I didn't want to do. But right. well, after they worked their way out of the rep, I had like a really great rep to dance. And I love John Christophe Mayot. Like he was, I think, one of among my favorite directors. He understood it took us a while, but he understood me in that context mm. of being in his company. Cause I had met him outside of his company. So that was a different context. Right, right. So yeah. it's you, you know, you talk about the politics and you talk about the dance because in a lot of these companies they're intertwined. Like, you know, you you there's it's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Like, right. Some folk can run their mouth and still be whatever. And then, you know, some people can stand up and, you know, and I won't say I was punished, but I was certainly checked. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, we so need by the that time sometimes. I got to Monte Carlo, I was like, just shut up and dance, <laughs> you know, but I worked hard in Netherlands. Like, you know, I took the first, the second company class, and the first company class when I got into the company, I, you know, I just worked really hard. You know, mm-hmm. I tried to to um, move past. I got the best advice from my first second company director, who was Arlette Von Boven. She said, check yourself first. Like, I went to her one day and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And she was like, check yourself first. Hmm. She didn't, she didn't reprimand me. She didn't, she said, just figure out what you need to do to move forward. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I held that, I held on to that for the rest of my career, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't blame anybody. It was, I never cared what cast I was, whether I was first, second or third. Or 
it was just about the work. So just I feel show like, up, yeah, yeah, I had to learn that lesson there, you know, okay, quite early, because I came from a place where you could be direct, where you you were direct. You know what I mean? It wasn't. I didn't come from a culture that you had to figure out things, right? What people meant, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, and that's that's, that's got to be useful. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Ballet Monte Carlo was great. I danced Rom, uh, the priest in Romeo and Juliet, which was created on Gaetan Marlotti. I was always Gaetan's second, but he always had principal roles, so that was fabulous. Um, yeah, we did some. I did some really nice work there. I did a. Yeah, we did. I loved working in John Christoph works. We had. A, I understood his work physically, mm. um, and he definitely came from. Uh, a dramatic storytelling point of view, like, and he, he, his attention to detail was different. Like Yuri was like, was a, a certain, um, the fluidity in his work was a challenge to master. Mm. And the drama came from his relationship to music, I think, um, and his interpersonal relationships that he created on stage. Mm. I think John Christophe was much more intentional about each movement and how it captured a certain part of what he was trying to communicate. Okay. Um, so that was a very different experience, I think. Uh, so then when when I, you know, I fell in love while I was there and I followed my my boyfriend to Canada, which was interesting because um, at that time, Jean-Christophe was starting the Monaco Dance Forum and he asked me to be his assistant. So I was the assistant to him for that project. And I came back and I went on tour with them to do Romeo and Juliet. So it was nice to still be wanted and, you know, he. You know, if I hadn't been in love, I probably would have stayed because it would have been a great um, career trajectory. He liked my choreography. He supported me when I did um, guest work. Like I did a version of La Caja Fall in Paris. And work. he really took care of my um, contracts and stuff. Um, I did a piece for the opera there choreographically that I think he had recommended me for. So he was really supportive of me as a choreographer. Mm -hmm. And so I won't say that I made a mistake, but I just chose love over career at that point. And then I started freelancing. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to Canada, I had the opportunity to, I think one of the first freelancing gigs I got, which was uh, um, in Tokyo. Um, I did some galas. I got a bunch of gala stuff, but this was a really big project with Kazuko Hirabayashi. Mm. And I danced at New National Theater Tokyo. I was a principal guest artist and I danced with Kazuko, uh, uh, Yumiko Kimura, uh, Yuriko Kimura, who okay. was a big um, star at the Graham Company. And she was 60 when I partnered with her. So she was guesting and a lot of Japanese um, dancers, of course, were there. And Stephanie <laughs> Tuman was there. Kaz Kazuko Hirabayashi was the choreographer. And so that was an amazing experience, you know. Um, and it was nice. It was, it was really nice to be treated that way and to have that experience of being a guest artist. Um, and then I joined Complexions for a while, and that was wonderful, dancing with Desmond and yes. Dwight. And Michael Thomas, and then I did a project with Michael Thomas, Elizabeth Rojas, and um, Carrying Plante de Bejo. That was wonderful. And then at the end of all that freelancing, I think I did, um, I got uh, invited to dance with the White Oak Dance Project, which was Bershnikov's company. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. And we were the last group before he disbanded, and he did a one more project with another group called Hell's Kitchen. I think, or something. Right. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was beautiful. It was <clears throat> humbling and wonderful. Cause I had met him <clears throat> like 
when I was 19 or 20 and he had remembered me and we had seen each other intermittently in different weird places. Like I ran into him in Poland and then I ran into him like throughout the years, throughout the years from that first encounter. So the universe kept putting us in each other's faces. Like he was, he would be in the theater, either leaving the theater or coming into the theater while I was on tour with a different company. Right. So it was, it was like, okay. So when that happened, I was like, wow, this was supposed to be, you know, um, and then he, because at the time when I had moved to New York, when he saw me the first time, which I didn't say is I was training at school of American ballet. And he, I also was training at the American ballet theater school. Mm -hmm. So he had like a very small class of boys. It was like maybe seven of us. Um, there was Jared Reddick. There was Sangria, who eventually got into New York City Ballet. And I can't remember the other three or four boys. I think a couple of them were Russian. And so for like a year, I was that year when I told you about I was doing all those things, I was right. training at <clears throat> both schools. And Sasha Filipov was the main teacher. So I would, I forget, yeah, I think we would. I would go and take the the ballet class downtown at ABT, and then me and Sangria would jump on the train and go up to our SAB class, and then we had, you know, rehearsals for the whatever program we were working on. So it was an intense year and a half or two years. It felt like three years, but I think it might have been a year and a half or two years. Uh, so fast forward to running into him again the way i ran into him was i was rehearsing with complexions mm. and roger jeffries was roger jeffrey was in the building and and white oak was dancing and he was like you know we need another dancer <clears throat> and mm -hmm. i was like oh okay he said i'm gonna talk to misha about it, let you know so misha had already known me and i don't think he knew that because i only knew roger in passing at that point right so anyway, I ended up dancing with them and that was like a phenomenal experience. Phenomenal, you know, as was dancing with Complexions because I got a chance to dance with Sarita Allen, mm. you know, who was like, I did a duet with her and, and it was just, it was just a great experience. You know, um, Dwight was high octane and the choreo choreography was, you know, full of life and movement. And oh yeah. I would take a, I would go to rehearsal with a video camera. At that point, there was no phone and I would right, take right, all right. the rehearsals right. and then I would go home and try to make sure when I came in the next day that I knew all of the, <laughs> right. all of the choreography for the different pieces we were doing. Wherever you need me, I got the part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like you, cause I mean, the level of dancer in his company at the time was super high. I mean, it was mm -hmm. Michael Thomas, it was Sarita, it was Malcolm Lyle. And they are still high now. Like we were different kind of dancers, but the the work ethic was like, boom. Yeah, like, you just had to go in. And Desmond and Dwight were like that. They they are and still very very focused, very very focused, very very intense working process, which is what I was used to. Right. But I also knew where my <laughs> brain was slow, and I just had to make sure. Right, fill in the I'm, gaps. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 period at White Oaks was great, um, and then I think we did, and I'm getting let me rush through the rest of the stuff. So I did that, and that was wonderful. You know, I was trying to figure out. Misha just made was so normal. He was not a grand personality, like he just made you feel like he was your associate as a dancer. Okay. Not that he wouldn't give you direction or something, but that wasn't his energy. It was like, we're here to work together. And that was the vibe. Like, <clears throat> it was a great vibe. It was like, I love it. it was, you know, Miguel and I, or Rosalind Suka. Or, oh, no, Ros, what's, Rosalind LeBlanc. Uh, 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 Jennifer. Jennifer, I can't remember her last name right now. She's gonna kill me. But anyway, mm -hmm. it was a great company. Of course, Roger, Jennifer. Oh, uh, oh my God, I can't remember her name. Anyway, mm -hmm. those things are in the history books. But 
Um, so I, after I finished with that, after we folded, basically, I think I did more freelancing. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I ended up, I danced with Gene Ruddy. I came back to Philly. I danced yes. with Gene Ruddy. Mm-hmm. I met Ann Ranking. I started doing Fosse. That's how I got into like this Fosse run, which was the same time I was breaking up with my eight-year relationship in Canada. So right. I think I jumped on any tour going. And Fosse was one of those tours. Like we did we did a um summer stock version that they asked me to do. And then there was a tour. There was like a non-union tour that they asked me to do. So I went on it. And it was fun. It was hard. It was different. But at least I got a chance. Some some little toe in the Broadway space. Right. Um and it was nice Fosse, to the be tone animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was it was nice. I did yeah. So um and then after that I think I came home because my father no, my father had died in two thousand. So I think I had started mm-hmm. moving closer to Philly. And that's why I put roots down here again. Right. So I had the breakup and I had my loss of my father. So I felt like I needed to be here to, you know, support my mom and right. make sure my mom was okay. Because I had my first real big, well, my grandmother, but, you know, my father was, got me a little scared about losing my mom too. Right, yeah. So came home and tried to go back to school, got a gig down at Howard University. And Joan helped me get that gig. And that going back to, I was going back to school for directing because I wanted to be a director. So that was a nice period. I worked, I got a chance to work as uh, in acting classes with um, Al Freeman. Okay. So that was uh, Al Freeman and Kim Bay were co-teaching a class, an acting class that I taught. So I thought that was super helpful for me. And I really was trying to become a director at that point. I was like really trying to change my vibe. But um, Dr. Johnson was there. And uh, at a certain point, I was just like, okay, I have to, that's a whole nother story. I love Dr. Johnson. (laughs) But she was very challenging, as most folks know. And I aborted the challenge and went back to Philly. And that's when I started SLJ, um, when I came back around 2006. Mm-hmm. So all that freelance stuff kind of culminated with me being back in Philly around 2006. And then I started I choreographed here. And then I got I started getting more commissions. So I did two commissions for um, Philodanko. I did a commission for Washington Ballet. I mean, not Washington Ballet. Washington Reflections Dance Company. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Ballet X. Um, I did some community projects. And then I had SLJ. So I think I was my most prolific and happy with SLJ because I loved my dancers. I loved all of them. You know, And you had a nice crew, too. <laughs> I did. I did. My kids. I love my kids. And they're all doing so well. I just saw uh, Emma... You know, Emma, Nicole, um, uh, Maya, mm-hmm. uh, Justin. Um, Justin Tony. stays on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 Rashawn, later, Isaiah, who's not dancing right now, but it was so many. Leroy dance came through. And some people kind of came through and went out. Just, I, I don't want to say everybody's name because I'm going, Allison was, it was a bunch of dancers that, Karama Butler, mm. um, so so many. You had a uh, dream team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they made me very happy. Uh, uh, what's the uh, I did, uh, Jeffrey? Jeffrey, uh, I can't remember his last name. Um, but yeah, they they all. Y'all forgive me if I missed your name. You know I love you. Um, <laughs> But that they made me. <clears throat> it was an ideal circumstance, and it it gave me confidence as a choreographer because I could dig in. And they were fresh out of school, so they were ready to dig in. They liked. I mean, I hope they liked it. <laughs> it felt like they liked it. They were ready to go LeBron, wherever you let them. I think I did a project with Juma. Juma came through. Mm-hmm. Like different people came through at different times. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> and then so from that SLJ moment, yeah, then, um, you know, here we are. Now I'm at Danko coaching again. Right. <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> right. So you're back in, in, in with Danko. Um, so what is the, what are you working on now? Like what's next for Zane? So presently I'm working on a project with John Dow. It's, um, the second time we've worked together. Um, we're working on a project called, uh, Ooh, the title. Well, I can tell you what it's about. <laughs> about Rittenhouse Square and it's about public private spaces or mm. public intimate spaces I think is the name of the project and he's been working on it for about five years I think I came in and on the third year um he's been photographing Rittenhouse Square he's been studying the spirits in Rittenhouse Square he's been studying the people in Rittenhouse Square he's been studying the architecture and photographing the architecture and sort of um doing all these compilation photos with light drawings that he had me and other dancers go to the park in the night and we would put these lights on our wrists and we would do these light drawings nice and he would capture them from 30 feet in the air so he's been creating this body of work and so we're doing a workshop well i mean it's a it's it's not the final version of what he envisions but i guess we could call it a workshop or presentation at the barns on december 8th um, and I've been working with Arabi, Arabia and Kayla Teeter, Arabia, I always forget Arabia's last name. Um, I've been working, and they're both UArts graduates, mm -hmm. um, beautiful women. And I have been working with one of the dancers from Philodenko, Dia, but he can't do it anymore. So I'm going to work with another dancer named Xavier. Um, and really trying to interpret John's vision and do this sort of performance. You could call it an installation, but it's, I think it's more than an installation. We have like 10, I mean, eight um, tall panels, like mm -hmm. 10 foot panels mm -hmm. that are on wheels. And we interact with those panels. That's a simple version of the project, but it's, it's, it's a lot of storytelling and trying to capture the essence of this sort of spiritual presence and, uh, human interaction that crosses class and race in Rittenhouse Square. Beautiful. It's yeah. something about Rittenhouse Square lately that it's a breeding ground for so much art because in the, the mm -hmm. film festival, the Philadelphia Film Festival, there were like two different films uh, set in Rittenhouse Square and now oh, this wow. project. And there's always someone doing something, you know, it's something about yeah. that space. You know, it's like I think so. I think, I mean, I have different, I had a different feeling about it because, um, as a young person, it wasn't a place that I frequented, mm. but as I got older and actually on this project, I would spend more time there. So I could see what John was seeing, you know, and he felt like classes even though it has a, a racial history of exclusion, mm. he felt like it was a space where rich folk and poor po folk at least had the opportunity to interact. Right. <laughs> Whether you know they wanted I mean? to or not. <laughs> Whether they wanted to or not. You know what I mean? And he actually saw that and wanted to bring that into high relief. Mm. You know what I mean? So that was... And it's a challenge collaborating because he has a specific way that he wants to tell the story through movement. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's interesting and challenging for me, but I'm enjoying the challenge, even though I can be quite resistant to working in a particular way, the way that I want to work. Right. Um, but I'm enjoying sort of being vulnerable in this space of collaboration. Mm. Because I think that's really what it is. It's like, I always use black, green, and gold. Like you're asking me to use like pink and yellow. Right. You know, in the creative process. Right, right, right. And in my mind, I'm going, I, I don't think pink and yellow works. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But he's like, just try it. Just try the pink and yellow. Like, okay. <laughs> I will try it, yeah. but I won't like I it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, it's not so bad. Right, right. 
Nice. Beautiful. So, so yeah. you just keeping on, keeping on creating wonderful things. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. As you should. And I'm trying to, and I had started, Meredith and I had started a project called the Kitchen Table Dance Collective yeah. with, I'm sorry, Meredith, Danielle, Kirika, um, um, Oh my God! Oh, Chandra, Chandra Thorne, Chandra Moss Thorne. Okay. So we created something. So it's on the back burner right now, but I know Meredith wants to choreograph um, using us, us old folks. I don't know why he wouldn't use old people, but oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so we may do something, and I'm also really interested. Um, I'm starting a coffee shop, so I'm going to have to focus on that for like the next year. Really? Um, yeah. So I have a coffee shop coming. Hopefully we'll be open in the next three weeks. I want to be open before Thanksgiving. Like a brick and mortar um, coffee shop? It's a brick and mortar, but it's a counter inside of the shop right on Island Avenue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What's it going to be called? It's called Brown Street Cafe. Okay. And the theme is, is that I was inspired to be an entrepreneur by... My mother and my father first, of course, and different members of my family, but also by the fact that there were Black-owned businesses in my neighborhood when I was young. There was a cleaners, there was a tailor, Mm -hmm. there was a printer, there was, of course, a corner grocery store, there was a beauty salon. Um, And these five businesses is what I saw as a young man, like Black-owned businesses. Right. And so they are drinks... um, dedicated to these named after and dedicated to these businesses like my um my black coffee is called black beauty my straight black coffee my cafe au lait is called black and creamy and it's a play on words because it's named after the blacks who own the tailor shop and the um beauty salon so there's like three lines about them inside of the description yeah okay Come on, entrepreneur. <laughs> Look, I want to be somebody who's giving the checks, you know. Okay. Because I do. I, I really feel like I have that skill set. I feel like I work hard enough to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot of my entrepreneurial work has been in the nonprofit world. So even with my event planning services and the community outreach services, which you saw me execute when um, the Denison Arts project yes mm-hmm. um, those are things that i like to do but i also think there's a way a skill set that i have that i can use in the for-profit world like we raised I, with my company and volunteers we raised like ten thousand dollars for philodanko that was like i wanted to say thank you to joan Myers brown aunt joan just for everything that she's given me Wonderful. and so i worked hard to you know raise money that could be my donation. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be rich, but I can raise money. Right, right, you know, right. We had art shows. We had two art shows. And between those two sort of art shows and, and fundraisers, we raised a little, like a little bit under, a little bit over $10,000. Okay. So I was very happy with that. Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's another outlet that I like to have, like being a philanthropist. I like that space. I like giving back. You know, I like, I like to say thank you. Right. Your head ain't that big for all them hats you wearing. (laughs) (laughs) I just, man, I like to say thank you. I'm really grateful. Like you don't do nothing by yourself. Yeah, this is true. And I'm, I'm a person that does things big anyway. So like, I don't, I'm like, go big or go home. Exactly. Cause you, you know, know what you, what you're saving it for, <laughs> right? Right. Fabulous. Yeah. So life is good. I I see. Well, Mr. Zane Booker, I this has been a magical chat, and I'm you. Every time I I you know think about and go and discover you, there's more than what I thought there was before because you've always been fierce to me but then it's like wow there's more and today there's even more than that (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> All this fabulousness. <laughs> no, I mean the fact that I'm a busybody. Like, hey, I can't sit still. I always have two or three projects going at the same time. Ain't nothing wrong with and that. And I'm I'm trying to get it to where I'm I'm a streamline these things, you know. Right. Well, you know, good. and I get to go. Uh, Bernard uh, is doing one of my pieces, so I'm going to try to go out and coach that piece in Vegas a little bit. So I'm always doing something stuff I enjoy though. Hey. And I think I'm at a point now where I don't feel like I'm. I'm stressed about it. You know what I mean? Like things are happening in its own time. And you're doing what you love. Yeah. Fabulous. Well, so I appreciate you, Charles. I'm here for I'm I appreciate you. Thank you so much for sitting and talking with me. This has been I hope you had as good of a time as I did. <laughs> I did. I did. Wonderful. I did. Thank you, Zane. Thank you, sir. This has been Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. If you are a dancer in Philly, or if you love a dancer in Philly, please consider taking the time to visit PhiladelphiaDance.org and click the Become a Member button and take advantage of all the benefits that come from being a member of Dance in Philly. Once again, I'm your host, Charles Tyson Jr. You have a wonderful day.